the trees budded prematurely around Nahum's, and at night they swayed ominously in the wind. Nahum's second son, Thaddeus, a lad of fifteen, swore that they swayed also when there was no wind, but even the gossips will not credit this. Nor should credit be given to some of the things that filmmakers have done when adapting the literary work of H.P. Lovecraft. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of cinematic Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm James McCormick. And I'm Jim Rohner. And today we'll be reviewing 2010's The Color Out of Space, written and directed by German filmmaker Juan Vu. Or as the German title, what is it, D Farbe? Yeah, the, D Farbe? Which, yeah uh, which I believe just translates to the color in German. The color, yeah. yeah. And, and I, don't know, I don't know about you, James. Um, I, I, I love the, the, the fact that it, it takes, you know, that it's a black and white film because then the color yeah. adds some significance. I don't know why, but in my mind, the color was always green. Um, that's, no, that's interesting. Like, I've had times when, when I first heard the story, it was almost like a bluish green to me because for some reason, like this intense, like almost like a, like a teal that could never even imagine mm-hmm. was in my head. But I, I would imagine like the color would just be whatever kind of like color you were, you just would replicate in your brain at that moment mm-hmm. and that's what i kind of find intriguing about the story where yeah he doesn't say it's a red that you've never thought could exist or a blue or a green or a pink as it is in this one and that's kind of what i love about all these like you know like now the new one richard stanley from what you could see from the trailer the color looks like something else mm-hmm. like more of like almost like a neonish like this and i kind of like that they went with one of the most bizarre like color schemes for a black and white film, like like this weird like hot almost hot pink like mm-hmm. goop, almost kind of. When I first saw like when I first saw this film, it almost looked like the slime, like the evil slime from Ghostbusters Two, the one that made everyone angry. <laughs> oh right, yeah, v- v- Vigo slime. Vigo slime. <laughs> yeah, well, and it. it... And I, I think why I always imagine it being green was just kind of, uh, I mean, you you think of the, the the stereotypical or quintessential, however you want to think about it, sci-fi tropes of like aliens and slime and green, and that that's sure. why I thought of it. And it's interesting. I, I can uh, put this um, article on the Facebook page. There, there's an an interview with writer director Juan Vu from a, a website I'd never heard of before called SlashingThrough.com. Um, it's, uh, it's not a very long interview. He's not a, he's not a, an eloquent man, but, um, he apparently says they chose purple because it's quote, the most mysterious color of them all, which I, I then did some Googling on it and it kind of makes sense because purple is actually the rarest color found in nature. Um, so the fact that you see something which is not just purple coming from like outside of your physical existence, but then also, which is so, uh, prolific kind of makes sense and, and also a little tidbit for any science nerds out there um it is the most purple is the most powerful visible wavelength of electromagnetic energy it's just a few steps away from x-rays and gamma rays so kind of adds oh. that interstellar uh, or extraterrestrial kind of element uh to which i think is actually like oh wow that that shows that they really did think a whole lot about this movie and how they would do it and make sense because i mean there's certain things that work on the page that don't work in movies so when Right. Lovecraft writes, uh, it was like a color uh, outside of the spectrum that we'd ever known. Like, well, th- there are 
an infinite amount of color, so how can we possibly make one which is not something we'd be able to expect or or uh, wrap our minds around? So the fact that he does do it in black and white, which if I were making a, a color out of space adaptation, I think black and white would be the way to go. So just kind of making it black and white, then any color kind of becomes significant, which I think is really cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I It's kind of like, you know, anytime, like, like, certain comic books that were black and like even like newer comic books that like they chose let's just do it in black and white mm -hmm. actually to give an example of one i recently reread during the halloween season was the long halloween oh yeah the batman story which every time the murder happened on whatever holiday it was it would always that one scene would always be black and white mm -hmm. and except for any blood and whatever the token of the holiday was. And it was always striking to me. I'm like, and that's smart. And yes, you know, reason why they did it in this is it's budgetary constraints. You know, like it's cheaper to film in black and white. It, it just so happens to be. And then, but they actually used it to its advantage, mm -hmm. you know, like that. And that's, it's smart. Like, you know, if you're a filmmaker and you're trying to go, well, how can we make this like striking? Like, how can we make this like little different than whatever else is like out there? black and white and then you kind of give that color twinge like that that when it happens you go holy shit okay wow that looks really crazy what's going on right now okay now I'm, and that's kind of like how i felt with this film like i was just kind of laying in bed watching it you know when we were talking about doing this and i'm like let me check this out like that it was the poster that kind of like made me go huh that poster looks really cool yeah the stark like, like black and white just tree, tree against the horizon you know yeah and i'm like wow that's like then you know it's you're judging a book by its cover in a way like okay that that poster is really cool so you hope the movie's like relevant to that poster mm -hmm. and like you know it's and it's kind of like you know when you're on like, something like an Amazon Prime or even Netflix or whatever that's the first image you're seeing you're like oh what's that and that's kind of how it was it was like that for a while I was like wow that looks really cool I'm like I wonder if it's the Lovecraft adaptation or it's just someone trying to use the title. And then when I read more about it, when we, I'm like, oh, it is a Lovecraft adaptation. Okay, cool. This is, this is a, this could be exciting. And then when I saw it was German, I'm like, okay, like this is different. Like you know, like cool, a foreign film too. Okay. And then when I read about the filmmaker, I'm like, oh, he's a Korean transplant that moved to Germany, and he went through a lot of crap when he first moved there. From what I read, that he felt like an outsider because he was Korean. And he had to he had to learn German like he had a he basically was a German. And I'm like, oh wow. So I was just hoping, hoping to the great old ones that this was <laughs> gonna be good, at least good, you know. And I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and I think we can both agree it's 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 pretty good. <laughs> yeah. We 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 started talking in the last episode about how existential dread had started seeping into us because we were a bit <laughs> worried we weren't ever gonna stumble upon good adaptations again and th this one is 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 pretty good uh I, I will say that if this is considered one of the best i think it's it says something about the state of lovecraft adaptations but yeah we'll we'll, we'll get to that first i i want to i want to get into a little bit of background on the actual uh the short story the color out of space because well that's what i do here um so <laughs> uh the story was written in march 1927 and published in um uh magazine or the publication amazing stories in september uh the editor at the time hugo gernsback only paid lovecraft 25 dollars in total 
which uh, came out to about one-fifth of a cent per word for wow. this story. Um, so a total of $361 in contemporary currency for this story. And Lovecraft uh, never submitted to Amazing Stories ever again. And yet, I think that the frustration came from it is one of Lovecraft's personal favorites of his own work, which is great because right. it's, as we talked about last time, it was one of my favorites as well, still is one of my favorites. Um, and I'm going to cite from S.T. Josie, who we talked about last one. He says it's the first of Lovecraft's major tales to affect that union of horror and science fiction, which would become the hallmark of his later work. It continues the pattern already established in The Call of Cthulhu of transferring the focus of supernatural dread from man and his little world and his gods to the stars and the black of and unplumbed gulfs of intergalactic space, as Fritz Lieber aptly stated in A Literary Copernicus. And... What a surprise. I agree 100% with that yeah. assessment. That that was, um, I think one of the, the things that I loved about this story was, listen, I love Cthulhu, love Dagon, big fan of Azathoth around this parts, but I think a lot of the tendencies of the stories which explicitly deal with the those other beings and like the old ones kind of have a tendency to kind of have the narrator telling you, I'm going mad, or after I write this, I'm going to commit suicide, and... <laughs> the color out of space does such a good job of, um, of of feeling instead of telling you that dread and that cosmic insignificance of people. I mean, no one goes mad, no one commits suicide. The futility of existence is really kind of felt, and you see it kind of play out in really. Sure, the the community is is affected by this meteor that crash lands, but really, it's just the deterioration of one specific family. Yeah, And I think by making that focus more intimate and just kind of seeing how this family is physically deteriorating, mentally deteriorating for reasons that they can't fully understand because we can't grasp the science of this thing. And everyone's like, instead of the response of caring, people are like, let's avoid those people. Um, that's that's like like there's a legitimate sadness there because it's, yeah. it's these little people like, hey, there's this big thing that literally came out of this world. We can't do anything about it except just succumb to it, and then we're dead, and that's it. And that's really upsetting. Yeah, it's like, and like, it's a family that did nothing wrong. They're no. just there farming, and then they get excited when, like, oh, look at the the plant life. It's big. You know, it's like, oh, we're going to be rich, kind of like idea. And mm -hmm. then all hell breaks loose. Yeah. But it's very slowly. You know, it's like, it's, it's this, like, dread. And, like, you'll, every time you see this family again, something else has happened. Like, the mother's going, like, from what you see, insane. But is she really going insane? Or is she seeing something that's more mm -hmm. around her? And, it, like, yeah. And the film actually does, you know, showcase, like, this family, like, very well. Like, where, you know, these poor kids are seeing it happen, unfold, you know, before them. And, yeah. And then, like, I don't know if you were like me when... The scene when the the friend and neighbor comes to them, and to and like looking for them, and he opens that doorway, and it's just the guy just melts and like and like just oozes out of the room, and you know, and it's just digitally done, and it like looks a little off, but it's still like funny enough. It creeped me out. Like it was like oh, like mm -hmm. I I felt like okay, that that got me. Like you got me there with that, and then like the color. And all that stuff. I'm like, and that's what, that's what I was hoping for, from any of these like Lovecraft adaptations, like that, that sense of just creepiness and like dread and like, you know, you feel like, like dirty from like 
just what what's happened to these people. And you're like, oh, like it's gross. Like imagine that happening now. Like you know, and I think that's what's missing. A lot of times, just like a lot of it's just shocking or gross out type of stuff. But this was more like it just happens and like it just and it, it unfolds before us. And oh, I felt so like I felt so bad. For the family like like ultimately i was like man it's poor family like now they're gone like they're, they're gone from everything you know yeah and i think it's important what you said like the family didn't do anything and now certainly the the protagonists in a lot of lovecraft stories they don't they're they are just yeah. as passive as we are but i mean you know uh but it, but it is this idea of you kind of get the sense like if they didn't even explore or try and find you know stuff like uh of the rats in the walls or shadow over right. Innsmouth, like they went on this journey to kind of discover more, and as they do, they just kind of realize, like, fuck, th- this is, this was a bad idea. Um, whereas the uh, Gardner family in the Color Out of Space were just there. Nothing happened. Like, everything was done to them. And and what I what I find more heartbreaking as someone who is um, Christian is, like, they are they are good Christian people by all, by, by all you know, right. uh, means. And yet it's sort of just, like, they never say it, but I do get this this undercurrent of just like, what did we do to deserve this? Yeah, it's it's there, it's there where you you feel it in them that like they want to scream that out loud. Yeah, mm-hmm. but they but they don't because they're like, well, I guess it's in almost a sad way. It's almost in, like at first it's like it's God's plan. Like we have to live through it. Like we'll get through this. It's a bad time. You know. And I think that's the double whammy too because the the surface not the surface viewers. The outside viewers were looking at this like, no, you, you didn't you didn't do anything. This isn't your fault. So it's depressing on that angle. But then if you take their mindset where they're just thinking, we must have done something wrong. God is doing this to us. And it's depressing yeah. in that. So it's just like, no matter what, there's just a sense of like futility and inescapable fate that is just, fuck, what, what are we going to do? We're, we're nothing in the grand scheme of things, which is one of the biggest themes in Lovecraft work. And it's it's. Right. Great that this little low budget, uh, you know, arguably no budget, because I, I believe talking with or interviewing, mm-hmm. I did neither of those things. Let me step back. Reading that interview with with uh, Juan Vu, he started this film in film school. Right. And then had to continue it afterwards because they, they couldn't get it done. So, like, this was a, basically a no budget thing and yet captures that mode or, or that mood and that tone so much better than... Stuart Gordon with his uh, or Brian Yuzna with their millions of dollars, you know, it's like it, it and, and I think it's by necessity they they had to look inward because they couldn't, you know, they didn't had screaming Mad George to uh, to create body parts for him, right? And and nothing against those, but like like we, we, this is the search for us where we're trying to find those Lovecraft adaptations that get it. And 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 the funny thing is like even when we were talking about this, how. It almost feel like to me at least it almost feels like a lot of the Lovecraftian stuff out there that some of it almost deals with the stories better than some of the adaptations themselves. Like, like I I personally think a lot of the stuff in Carpenter's trilogy deal with the ideas of Lovecraft of the dread and like we're we're futile. It doesn't matter what we do, we're we're gonna die anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of sad when you think about it. it's like, you know, when you just take from the book or the story and they can't get it right or they just kind of like you like you said, even with Reanimator. And I, I agree. 
they missed the point of what the story was, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying you have to adapt it a hundred percent, but you got to like understand what the story was like trying to unfold for the reader, even back then in the twenties and thirties, like reading that like serialized story and going, Oh my God, what's going to happen next? Like, like what's, what's, what's behind that door. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's not just a jump. It's not a jump scare. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and that's really what I feel like. It's like, like most Lovecraft adaptations, like it's, you go behind the door and it's like a tentacle monster <laughs> and nothing wrong with that, but that's not what he was writing. I mean, like a lot of stuff does that and it's like, okay, like cool, but you missed the point. Yeah. And, and this one, um, I, I think we, it would be, it would behoove us or, or, or the listener perhaps to talk a little bit about just the, how the low budget nature of this movie actually works so well in its favor um, by not showing something. Cause I think that's one thing, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but reading like, but seeing a, anything that's an adaptation of something else and you had an idea in your mind of what it looks like. And then you see how the director interpreted it and it, it kind of, seeing the director's interpretation of your imagination is never sufficient. Right. It, it's never going to equal to what we have meant. Even if what we imagine, like we put it on more of a pedestal because it's in our mind. Yeah. You know, like we, we all, oh, I imagine this being like horrific and then you see it in a movie and you go, Oh, okay. It's pretty scary looking, but <laughs> yeah, that's not what I thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and especially cause a lot of stuff that Lovecraft writes about, it's like, it's so outside of our mental capacity that people go insane. That is literally not possible to do to you. You can't film that. You can't bring that to fruition. And so, no, you uh, can't. so Juan Vu, what he does instead is just kind of has people talk about it or you just kind of see something from the POV. I mean, when they're, when they're, when they crack open the meteorite, yeah. We we see the scientists from basically the meteorite's point of view, true. Or like you said, when when uh when Nahum Gartner is is basically kind of like melting, uh, we see his sticky hand and we see the the blood or whatever substance it is coming yeah. out through the door frame, and that's that's enough. That's enough, yeah. Like you don't have to see the whole melting, tra- you know, transformation. It's not needed. Having said that, when our narrator discovers. Nahum's wife in the attic, kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, that was like really like, oh my god, like it was like because I was like I was actually going like, okay, what are you gonna show? And like then they show and you go, oh shit, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like this decrepit skeletony oh. face looking up, and then you see the color kind of like escaping out of their eyes. Like I, 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 it, it, it was better than I expected it to be. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, like I said, like a, a lot of it's like you know low budget cgi kind of you know thrown in there but it's still effective because it's something that you can't even imagine like this color mm-hmm. coming out of her like just emanating from her to escape yeah back into space or whatever and it's like yeah it's like it's and that's kind of like one of the images that they use a lot is the mother's like corpse with the color coming out which if you just see that picture, you go, what the hell is that? Like, I think it's a, it's an effective picture. It's like, it's a good still where you go, oh my God. Like, but this film builds to that. Yeah. And that's what I was, you know, and I kind of love like the whole thing with the scientists where, you know, they come there to try and investigate and like, like a lot of Lovecraft stories, 
these are like the ones that are coming in to investigate. But never nothing ever happens to them. No. They do their thing. It keeps disappearing. Whatever they can't explain it. They go, oh, this sucks. And they leave. And the family, the Gardner family, are the ones that suffer. Yes, I, I'm so glad you said that because I was just kind of thinking about that. Of like, I mean, the Gardner family and like you, you even kind of get a sense that like they're kind of the center of attention for a while because there's this interesting, mysterious thing from another world. And then once it disappears, because its thing is it just slowly and gradually shrinks, I shrinks guess. Yeah, yeah. until it, it doesn't exist anymore. Everyone fucking leaves. It's like yeah. uh, we don't care anymore. And there's no help extended to this family. They're, I mean, they're, you get the sense that they're a bit too pro, uh, proud to ask for help, but um, eventually our, our our protagonist, whose uh, name has unfortunately escaped me in the story. I know. I, I, I think of him as just the narrator, but because that's what he is. He's the one retelling the story from his point of view. Yeah. So to speak. I can't remember his name either, right? <laughs> I'll look it up as we're going through. But, but eventually, like, the only person that is interacting with this family anymore is... Our narrator. I mean, even animals are avoiding the place where this where this family lives or, or used to live, and you just kind of get a sense of like, yeah, they are completely abandoned. And and looking up at it now, yeah, according to the synopsis, it is an well, the person who is listening to the story is an uh, an unnamed uh, surveyor, if you will. Um, but I believe the uh, let me see. Eh, no, it might just be, you know, it <clears throat> It doesn't really matter. And I'm sure that if there are any Lovecraft heroes out there, they are judging us thoroughly for not knowing the name of it. But <laughs> the the important thing it is, like, we it eventually gets to a point where everyone abandons his family except for this one guy. And it's kind of like through his eyes that we view the abandonment of not just love, but like also of just of nature, basically just kind of like, nope, leaves. And, and it's cool the little visual they have at the end of this film when all the color kind of like collects into the sky and blasts off it's like oh what was it even here for what was it doing no answer and then it just leaves yeah and it's like and the wraparound with it too with the you know the young the son looking for his father Mm -hmm. who it was like you said the world war ii thing thrown in there too yeah which kind of is a good little tie-in where this you know american you know little convoy find you know they find this german guy coming back from the war Mm -hmm. and that you know and then that's how the story gets because and i kind of like that like it was a good little wraparound where you're not sure like okay what what are they gonna find even that point and then it goes a completely different direction Mm -hmm. like you know like like i'm thinking like oh it's world war ii okay like and then of course i don't know why i just think of hellboy you know like oh (laughs) what's gonna happen now where the nazis and stuff are they gonna harness it you know but no, it's just very. It's still, even though it was a world, you know, a war, and this guy coming back from the war. But then, then it's flash forward to the father being an old man going back to that to, I guess, search for this color again, like that he saw only that once to like kind of see it again at his, in his old age. Yeah, yeah. Like mm-hmm. you know, like he remembered it, like it, it, it seeped into his brain that he needs to find this again, like. And like this is based in the seventies, right? Forgot the year, but it's not present day. It's it's the seventies. I think it's supposed to be like thirty years later. I, I think you're right about that. Plot. Yeah, because because his his dad, yeah, yeah, his dad. You have to assume that when he was there in World War Two, which was in the mid forties, he was let's say he was in his even mid to late twenties. He, he's an older guy, but not like 
super, super old. old. Yeah, so you do get the sense it's maybe 30, maybe 40 years, but certainly not a contemporary telling of the right. story. And I kind of like that because they go back to the German town and as this older guy he overhears them and I was there and then we flash for you know flash back to he was the friend you know the 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 neighbor mm-hmm. that helped them you know and I kind of like that like it was I don't know to me it was effective like that it's almost like is he a reliable narrator is what he's telling us and we kind of see something you know I don't want to ru- really I mean you know I don't want to ruin it because I actually thought it was a cool little thing that happens at one point you know and like okay but it, but it, to me, it's like it doesn't even matter to be, like to be honest. Like, yeah, it's still like awful. Like what happens to this, fa- you know, to this family. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just really, I, you know, I can't say like I really like this film. Like I it stuck in my brain and it kind of was one that I was when I told you about it. I was like, yeah, we, we, we really should cover this. Like, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and I know the fear, you know, like, OK, is it? is it as good? Cause I don't want to, I didn't want to put it too much like high. Like I don't want to say, Oh, it's the great. It's not, it's not the greatest film ever, but no, it gets what it was going for. It was, it's, it's very like precise with the adaptation. Like, and you could tell Juan Vu and his crew wanted to make a faithful adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I agree with you. It, it is a, uh, it's, at least for the purposes of this podcast so far, it is by far the best adaptation we've ever yes. seen. Yeah. Um, and mentioned at the top of the show, it is, you'll find it on uh, lists online of like, you know, the, one of the greatest uh, Lovecraft adaptations, cinematic uh-huh. adaptations you'll find, which is great because I agree with that. But also as we, as we talked a little bit um, off mic, um, also kind of says something about, the state of Lovecraft adaptations were like, once again, this is a really good one, but if this is the consensus, your best, ah, like, I mean, it's, it's, and, and I guess that's, that's because of, uh, well, it's not because of one thing or another, but I, I'm going to attribute it to the fact that, uh, it, it is the best because Del Toro never got to make his Mountains of Madness adaptation. Yes. I, I would say that's probably part of it, you know, like, and I think also cause like, like so, like you know give an example like a writer like dan o'bannon mm-hmm. when he when he you know helped write alien and stuff you could tell that's like probably the cl- even though later on he made the resurrected yeah. and stuff which i still have to check out because i have i just bought the blu-ray just because it was one that i always wanted to, to see yeah it's one that i've always heard good things about but never like but i don't know if that means it could be like one of those sleeper movies that you go you hear about it, you go, oh, I wonder if it's any good, and you watch it, you go, oh, okay, this is actually much better than I thought, or is it going to be like, oh, that was good, but, but like, Dan O'Bannon was a huge Lovecraft fan and would always try to implant a lot of that, those seeds, like, and, you know, Alien, when you watch Alien and you watch it after reading Lovecraft, you're like, oh, yeah, it's there, like, yep. come on, it's there, it's just that they went into space instead, you know? They went to where the stuff happens, you know, like the xenomorph is, I mean, hell, at the time and even to, to me till now is a very, like, insane looking design yeah. for an alien, mm-hmm. you know, like, especially when it, like, gets up. So that's like, you know, more of the horror sci-fi, you know, slant, like, of, like, extreme looking, like, like visual. But that's kind of what I love about this film is, you know, like you said it's the opposite of show and tell. You know, it's like you're telling more and you show just enough and your imagination plays with it. 
more so. And that's kind of like you said, like with the color, you just imagine like even worse stuff. Like, oh my God, what when the when the mother died like that? Like, what did that lead up look like? You imagine it. You saw how she was outside, like that one scene when she's just kind of like looking around, like you know, insane. And there's that humongous he, bee that lands on yes. her head. Yeah. Oh my god! And you're like, is it gonna sting her? Like, what's gonna happen? <laughs> and I love that. Like, it's good. Like, and for me, like, you know, I'd watched it, and afterward, I was telling other people about it, like, because I had some friends like asking me about, oh, you know, can you give me any like really good Lovecraft adaptation? I'm like, well, I'll be honest, that's kind of what we're searching for too. But check this one out. I think if you want to go a little more of the art house route, you know, kind of like I'm not saying it's a like straight up art house, but it has like that aesthetic to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that it works it, and it works for it, you know, and that's kind of and it's kind of weird, like, you know, a Korean filmmaker in Germany, like, the, you know, German Korean guy ended up making one of the better ones. That's kind of telling, mm-hmm. too, like that this, you know, Lovecraft, a story that came out in the 20s somehow was adapted, translated into German. And, like you know, I'd like, I like I kind of love that where. This guy just read it. Well, I like really like this story. Like maybe we should make a film about this in film school. Yeah, the the idea that this story from this uh, Anglophile white guy yes. in the twenties transcended time and space and cultural boundaries to appeal to someone else who's like, no, there is there is something universal and scary about this, and this is something I want to bring to life. Is a really cool idea, and and yeah, it, it's um, I th- there's a specific shot in my mind um. It's 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 in the film like somewhat early because it's shortly before things go to shit. Like after mm-hmm. the meteorite has crashed and they realize that their gigantic fruit leaves a bitter aftertaste of their entire yes. crop is lost. Um, Nahum is sitting with his three sons kind of at a fence sort of looking off on the horizon. And it's just one shot and there's no like reverse shot or anything. And they're and they, they joke. One of the sons jokes about how it's it's a sign from God. and He's like, ah, you know, stop. Don't say that kind of stuff. But right. the way that they're frame, like framed and just kind of looking off screen, it's such an ominous shot because I, I would get the sense that like in my mind, the reverse shot is like a storm on the horizon that hasn't hit yet, but mm-hmm. it's going to hit. And when it hits, it's going to be bad. And it's just such an ominous shot that it, it speaks, like I said, just, you know, we can repeat it over and over how well Juan Vu understood this story and understood the tone of everything. And then... Yeah, yeah, and one other thing, uh, but if you're writing a tweet or an angry email, please stop. Ami Pierce is the name of the Ami guy, who, the, the crazy, quote-unquote, crazy old man who is uh, retelling the story to our unnamed narrator. In the, the film, it is uh, it is slightly tweaked a bit to adhere to, uh, I guess, the German locale. Um, Armin Piersky is, uh, is is how he is named in the in the film. But And, and this is, we, we talked about in the last episode, um... Why am I blanking on what the... Oh, Cthulhu, there we go. Yeah, well... <laughs> speak no, I knew what it was, but it's like, yeah, not much to speak about, but... <laughs> um, we talked about how that one threw in a bunch of Lovecraft Easter eggs that kind of like, eh, see, we're, we're making an adaptation, you get it? And The Color Out of Space is... This is the example of what I was talking about, of how, how you can do this well. It is extremely faithful, even down to minor details, like... Yeah. Um, Nahum Gardner and it's a uh, Gart Gartener, uh, you know, it's once again it's it's kind of slightly right. adjusted. Um 
you know, when they find the meteorite or, or when the scientists, really, he, he's, it's a throwaway comment like, oh, the, the, it was bigger yesterday. Um, it's kind of throwaway, but it's kind of in there. Um, and they even talk about like, oh, this feels more like plastic. It's these little throwaway lines. They're directly pulled from the book. And they don't, the, right. narr- the narrative doesn't hinge on it, but it adds to that idea of like, there's something weird about this. Like, this is more than just a meteor. Um, right. The, the spherical center of the meteor, which they kind of, they say, you know, it, they're trying to break into it, break into it, chip away at it, and just kind of seems to disintegrate. We don't see it, but they talk about it. Um, and yes. even down to the min- minute detail of the scientists raving about the mention of uh, Widmanstaten figures within the meteorite, which... Uh, that that's basically a scientific thing that you know certain figures or, or patterns within, I believe, a, a meteorite, which would kind of show that it's got a metallic um, nature to it. I, I mean, even that little thing just it shows how much they cared about the source material that they would throw that in there. Um, because it's really it, it's it's beat for beat uh, from yeah. the short story, which I think is really cool. And uh, and obviously the most important thing, as we said, it gets the general thrust of the entire story well. Um. Now, here's, here's one thing that I, I will disagree with you a little bit on, James. Okay. I didn't like the World War II wraparound. Um, clearly, that is not in the book. It, or I keep, no, I no, keep referring not. to these as, as books. They're, they're, they're stories. Stor- well, um, stories. But, I mean, yeah, a story is a book. I it, mean, it's okay. And, and, and I, I don't mind it in and amongst itself. Because in this one, it's basically just kind of this guy who's traveling through and hears his stories like, well, well this place is fucked. Um, yeah. Whereas the film kind of gives us a reason for our protagonist if you will to kind of come into this land he's looking for his dad who disappeared and was here at one point in world war ii my biggest complaint with it and i'm going to assume once again listeners that you have seen this so spoiler if you have not i'm sorry i'm giving the end away the ending then they kind of revisit and, and tell me if you think that this was your interpretation it almost kind of seemed like I couldn't tell if Armin was like if they were trying to imply that he was possessed by the color or or if he had made, like because because when he revisits the memories in his mind it's almost kind of like it seems like oh Armin was the perpetrator like he was the one that you know threw um or or, or was the one that was responsible for Thaddeus's disappearance or like it kind of implicated him as a perpetrator of certain acts in such a way which kind of like okay so was he possessed by the color and that was the thing that i didn't really love because the story kind of makes it seem like the color came down from space fucked everything up did its thing and then left whereas the ending in the movie kind of implies oh no it's still around and it's going to perpetuate itself or a worst case scenario he's just an old crazy guy that made up this entire story it's i think it i i almost think it could be you know looked at like different ways like i i saw like i when i afterward i was like okay i'm like i could see him being either a crazy old coot but that stuff really did happen to the gartner family but he's looked upon as crazy because that's what he remembers <laughs> yeah and like what he tells people it sounds like an, a crazy person mm-hmm. or the color's still there like but it's like it's in the ground now like like it did with the plants but it's also in some people mm-hmm. and he's one of them or like for some reason another thing another thought that came to my mind was all that stuff that he talks about with the Gartner family happened to his family, which mm. we never see a family. Mm-hmm. Like, is he a bachelor? Like, he talks about how you know he's with his like a like a like you know a, I don't know like he talks about a father or something like that, but you never see any family. Yeah, he's by himself, and that kind of seems strange. 
especially for a young guy at that time, mm-hmm. to me at least, you know what I mean? Like, it's supposed to be like what the third, you know, it's supposed to be the thirties and or the twenties and thirties. It's before World War Two, mm-hmm. and for some reason, I thought when they showed little glimpses of the flashback when he's talking to the Gartner family, it's reversed. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I kind of thought. That's an interesting take that, no, it actually all happened to him. That's why he's so – but he doesn't want to say, oh, my wife and my children and my – because then he let it happen. Not that he let it happen, but it happened to him. It's easier that 30, 40 years later, this young guy's looking for his father. Well, I know what happened. I know what's – because I knew the father, but mm-hmm. I'm going to replicate it as – this other family, this uh, like throwing, not the blame, but throwing everything, the awful stuff, the, the catas, you know, just the awful stuff that happened, you know, to this other family, because then how are you still around? Yeah, there's, there's a, a, not necessarily a guilt or a shame, but there's certainly some unresolved emotional trauma that has been yeah. so affect, like affected him so much. He projects it onto someone else versus on him, which I'm more willing to accept that than that's the idea. That's why I kind of yeah. That's why I kind of thought more like the the way like the thing with the possession thing. Like if that was what they meant, then that would be. I didn't think of that. I kind of like hope that's not what that was. And the only reason that I'm that I think of the possession thing was just because of the one shot of it's like after some memory or flashback at the end that um, Armin has, then we cut to a shot of the of the guy's dad kind of like turning his head and looking. Um, in the front seat True. of the car, which would seem to imply there's a there's some type of connection or he is being affected by something as well. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. That and also something with the well, when he's like looking with... Yeah, yeah, little things. So, I like I said, but is he a reliable narrator at the same time? Like, did that actually happen? Well, and, and that's that's something I, I did not consider as well. This idea of like, yeah, who who are we listening to and how much can we believe him? Which right. um, is interesting because... In a lot of Lovecraft stories, we are hearing from this first-person perspective of this person who admits that they're going insane. So it's also right. like, okay, if we step back one more, one more level or one more layer, how are we supposed to trust this guy if he admits right. that he's going insane? I'm going insane. Okay, so is everything you're saying like, what is it truthful in the beginning, mm-hmm. and by the end, it's completely yeah out there, or does it sound insane? Like, are are insane people? in Lovecraft stories, the only sane people in a weird way, like, are they, because the stuff they're talking about does sound insane, no matter what you do, it's like, yeah, that, I can't describe this, well, Mm -hmm. yeah, you must be crazy, like, or are you really, are they trying to replicate what they saw the best they can, like, oh, yeah, then this thing, I can't even say what it is, it just came to me, and, like, now my hair is white, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and but this is this is minor nitpicking. Yeah, I, I mean, oh yeah, because it, it certainly doesn't ruin anything. I mean, in Reanimator, we talked about, or at least I talked about and complained about how um, Herbert West's uh, motivation of like we can we can uh, hold off death uh, seemed very an- antithetical to me. Of like he wasn't concerned with maintaining life he was more just interested in kind of like finding out about it like he, he death was not a thing to him he didn't care um no, this no. I, don't, I don't think undermines anything as much as it's more kind of a young filmmaker who sort of i don't know and you'll get this a lot with young filmmakers hell i did it when i was in film school like i'm gonna end this really ambiguously because i don't actually have an ending in mind but i think if i make it ambiguous it's gonna be profound somehow 
Yeah, like, but but at the same time, that you and I saw different things. It kind of works then in a weird way. Like I, like I think like like I agree with you though. I'll be honest. Like if it ended just with the light, you know, the color flying out and that's it, and then fades to black, mm-hmm. that's more effective. That that to me, that's a more effective ending, no matter what. Mm-hmm. But like you said, you want to go for the not necessarily twist ending, but like you know, like everyone after like my 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 friend in film, like when he was going to film school, I was going to. Like, you know, writing, you know, I was we would talk about films like that. And like we said, it was a certain point, And there's always been twist endings since the beginning of people telling stories like, oh, and I'll t- here's a crazy thing that happened to Dan. But I really think it happened with like two films in the 90s that made like people go, oh, well, let's always do a twist. <laughs> and one is The Sixth Sense. Yeah. Which, you know. It's a good twist, you know, like no matter what people say about M. Night, it's a good <laughs> twist. Yeah. And the usual suspects, the whole Kaiser Soze. <sighs> but but that's those are the two films like they came out around the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's what those those were films that people left. And that's all they talked about. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that twist. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And then every filmmaker afterward, not every, but, you know, a lot of filmmakers would just throw in these twists mm-hmm. for no reason. Then you go, what the hell are you doing? Like, like I remember one that a film that I actually enjoy for what it is as a Pulp Fiction ripoff. Like, like when Tar- it was funny when Tarantino ripoffs were happening in the nineties was that film Suicide Kings. I don't even remember that. You know, a downstairs <laughs> uh, years ago. I mean, only a couple of years ago, uh, my old downstairs neighbor lent it to me. It sat on my coffee table for over a year, and then I gave it back to him without watching it. <laughs> it's not good, but there's a twist in it. Okay. And you go, what the fuck is this? Like, it looks like that kind of a twist where you go, really? You're going to go that far with the twist? And then there's, like, almost another twist. Like, you throw a little twist in there at the twist. And I'm like, but it's a great cast. That's the thing. It's a great young cast, and, like, that's why I enjoy it for what it is, but... But that's what I think. Those two films kind of bred this to like, let's make this ambiguous ending or like, let's make an ending where, oh, wow, all that stuff you thought happened. No, this really happened. And you go, okay, Mm -hmm. I see what you did. Like sometimes just end it like, you know, like and that's the problem with like, like also Stephen King stories. Like sometimes just end it. Don't don't keep going or don't keep like trying to throw something else. End it on like a note like of. This good thing happens, this bad thing happens. Let's go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but most, I understand. Like, I, even as a writer myself, sometimes I want to go a little more weird or crazy. Yeah. Sometimes you don't have to. Like, and sometimes the worst thing that happens is just this, you know, family deteriorating and then they die. And that's it. And and it's sad. And especially one year, your theme is sort of like the futility of your existence. I mean, cosmicism, this theme that Lovecraft kept going back to. That's that's I think that's all you need. Yeah. Um, not to say that I don't know that as soon as the thing shot off into space, where we end the credits there. But even if it's just sort of, I don't know, uh, our our the you know the the main guy kind of like leaving and being like, well, fuck, this is depressing. And then just you know, <laughs> the old guy sitting back in his chair and just kind of like lighting up a cigarette and like. Well, that's it, because what else is there, really? Yeah, you almost kind of like, 
laughing to himself like, yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> I told the truth, but that's that's all it is. Drinking a beer, smoking, you know, cigar, whatever. Yeah, or <laughs> yeah, or even that thing of like the guy leaving him and like you're a crazy old man, like I'm getting out of here and it's like right. He's choosing not to believe this because that's going it's to be crazy. an easier thing for him than to accept what right. just happened. Sometimes the, like the truth is hard to accept even though no matter how crazy it is. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to accept that. You're just a kooky old man. Mm-hmm. Bye. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of like that too. Like we're just, I mean like, like, you know, and then and that's why like, well, you know, we kind of speculate with the Richard Stanley version where Stanley's a very talented filmmaker. Mm-hmm. He hasn't made many films, quote unquote, like he made a bunch of documentaries after the whole Island of Dr. Moreau craziness, mm-hmm. which in, in that great documentary, about that whole making of the what right. is it, the island of lost souls yeah oh it's that is a insane documentary it's especially great. that but that's why i love robert stanley he's like a true fan mm-hmm. of like literature and and though know, his first two films dust devil and hardware are fantastic like lower budget sci-fi horror films and completely different like hardware is very cyberpunk kind of like has been alluded to that he kind of almost almost stole the idea from a 2000 AD comic book from back in the day from England. There's allusions to it, and I can see why, but it's an effective film. And Dust Devil's like this really cool, like, you know, dystopian, like, Western. It's like, they're films that you almost can't explain, and I love them so much. And, like, that's why I'm I'm excited. I know you're not as excited because of the Nicolas Cage thing, (laughs) and I understand that. No, I understand that. I have a soft spot for Nicolas Cage, but I don't like Nicolas Cage as playing Nicolas Cage, which actually he just got announced that he's going to be playing a film where he's playing himself. I saw that, yeah. Which I thought I thought of you the moment I read it. I'll go, oh, God, here's a film that I know Jim will never watch. This will, this, that will be the one to break me. <laughs> but it's exciting, though, that we have a film like, you know, we watched this one. So now we have a film almost to compare it to mm-hmm. a bigger budget more star-studded cast and see where they can go with it. Like where a a filmmaker coming back Mm -hmm. to making feature narratives. And that's exciting to me where I'm just, you know, I'm hoping for the best. And, you know, I've heard either really good things or pretty, you know, positive, like, like, you know, at the level, like nothing like, oh man, it's the best film ever, but like, oh, it's a very good adaptation. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, that's already hopeful for me and that we'll we'll be able to get to see this in a big screen is also exciting like you know like not amazon prime for once we could go oh okay let's go see this film on the big screen like i'm hoping they do it either at like the draft house or i think they will do it at the draft house i think that feels like a draft house film i would hope so and and certainly like if not like a no, I mean they they would they would do a recurring thing, but even if it was just kind of one of those like one night only special event things that they, that they right. are good, I could see them doing that as well. Like hell, I, I could even see them hosting Richard Stanley there, uh, you know, right. as a Q and A, which would be great. Um, That'd and, be awesome. Yeah. And yeah, I, I would I'd like to address my skepticism for <laughs> the color out of space. It, it one and it's 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 two pronged, as you mentioned, Nicolas Cage, who I, I don't think is without talent, but I know, I know. I think Nicolas Cage in that role almost sort of becomes like Nicholson in The Shining where it's like, this is how he, like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to find it hard to believe his, his trajectory because like, well, yeah, of course he's that guy. Like, 
Nicholson in The Shining was great, but also like he's crazy from the start. Yeah, from the very beginning, it's he like, looks unhinged from that <laughs> first shot. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And Nicholas Cage always looks unhinged. I kind of thought it was telling though in the trailer, but this is the trailer, so who knows what? Usually they want to showcase Cage craziness. Yeah, in in a trailer. I don't know if you notice that the trailer really you only see a little craziness at the end of the trailer. Like they kind of yeah, it's kind of like subdued. And I don't know if that's telling of maybe he is subdued throughout, and slowly something starts to make him more cage like. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. And that's cool too. Like they could have easily said, "Oh, let's just let's just throw the crazy cage stuff in there. Let's get it all out there, so you, we'll get those cage fanatics to go." But maybe maybe they, maybe he is subdued in this, and that's the thing with Nicolas Cage, like. He'll do his crazy cage film, but then every so often he comes out like he'll do a film like Joe. Yeah. You know, you know, and like where you go, oh, right, he can act. He's great. And I thought he was actually really good in Mandy. Like, you know, I, I actually think he's fantastic in that film. He's He gets crazier as the film goes along because that's the kind of film it is. But but I agree with you. Sometimes, like, if it's just craziness for crazy sake, I'm like, okay, I get it, Cage. I love you. <laughs> But you don't have to go at a ten and then keep going up from there. Go go start at a four, <laughs> then then go up a little bit gradual. <laughs> right, and, and I and then the other and the other prong of skepticism comes for me is is actually not that I find anything wrong with Richard Stanley. Truth be told, I haven't seen anything from Richard Stanley. So when it comes to the excitement about, and the excitement certainly seems to come from a, a specific kind of subsection of, of internet culture of like, you know, the, the horror culture, like love Richard Stanley. Um, yeah. I haven't seen Hardwire. I haven't seen Dust Devil. So like everything that, uh, that has to do with his talent for genre filmmaking, I, it, I'm just, I have to rely on other people's testimony of basically. Course. Um, and I do wonder if we are seeing with color out of space, um, the fruition of a of a of a film kind of germinating from I don't want to say internet culture, but I mean Richard Stanley was certainly revisited um, and reappreciated with the that documentary, The Island of Lost right. Souls, which played the festival circuit and certainly got a lot of buzz. And with Nick Cage with Mandy, which certainly also got the same thing. Like, could it was it one of those things where like, hey, without certain without buzz from a certain contingency of the population, would this film even exist to begin with? No, I know what you mean. Like, it, it, or is it? Does this perfect melding at the at the right moment at the right time? Mm-hmm. And we're getting this like, because like Stanley's always said, like he's always wanted to adapt Lovecraft even back then. Mm-hmm. But like, what happened? Like, you know, usually when they say when someone screw, you know not screws up, but someone does something in Hollywood and they get blacklisted, he really did get blacklisted. He got yeah. everything ended for him, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think that some filmmakers. Yeah, I don't want to go weirdly political or like weirdly, but you know, some filmmakers there's like accusations for years about sexual misconduct and stuff, and they continue to make films. Yeah, and that's telling to me that I, it's it's who you know or whose pocket you're in or whatever. And it's sad that you know Richard Stanley. All he did was he wanted to make an adapt a good adaptation of you know Island Doctor Island of Lost Soul Island Doctor Moreau. And he got fired. Mm-hmm. And that really, that's all. Like, you know, he didn't get along with Val Kilmer. He didn't get a, And then that's at the moment, that's at the time when Val Kilmer was, like, the worst person to work with. <laughs> yeah. Like, supposedly, like, 
he hated Val Kilmer more than even Marlon Brando, who's also difficult to work with. (laughs) That's crazy to me, you know? Yeah, well, when you had one Brando and then one guy who thought he was the second coming of Brando. um, It's pretty bad. Even though one of those people was, only one of those actors was pretending like he was a dolphin living in, in a person's skin. Um, I'll let you figure out which one that was. Um, but and, and then then there's also like the superficial thing of then it it's also going to be a horror film coming out in January, which never really bodes well for genre films. Now, there was the witch, of course, which did the same thing. But for every witch, there is, um, you know, uh, the devil inside or um, the Vatican tapes. Notice that the devil inside the Vatican tapes always like. Christian, you know, like like the Catholic, <laughs> yeah. Catholic horror. I didn't even. Was, wasn't the devil, the devil inside? Wasn't that which one was the one where you had to go online to see the ending? Oh. There was one like like at the end. It's like, oh, the ending is too or whatever bullshit. The ending's too extreme. You have to go on the website. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? That might have been the Vatican, were, that might have been the Vatican. It might have been that. Um, I, oh. I'm I'm also reminded now of um, Apollo Oops. 18, um, in which which. Yeah, that's the moon one, right? The found footage moon horror movie. Yeah, spoilers for everyone. Um, the creatures at the end turn out to be um, animated moon rocks. So right, <laughs> which is weird because like so, like supposedly recently, it's funny you mentioned that one. It's been getting this weirdly slow cult resurgence, which I'm like, what? <laughs> like really, that one out of everything, that one's getting. But sometimes some people try to see like the joy and like shit like you know like oh yeah this is actually better than you think it is no it's not like sometimes it's not no it, some sometimes it is exactly what it is sometimes it's a moon rock monster <laughs> and it's okay that's what they made whatever it is it's fine so but i agree like january horror is tends to, like nine times out of ten be a bad a bad thing but sometimes i think it's just the slate is so but now, like the later, like now, especially VOD and stuff, it really, unless it's a summer block or, I mean, hell, how many horror movies now, like, come out Halloween time? There's a few, but they still don't always, like, to me, every horror movie would come out the month of October. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. do you think that, like, everyone would go, you know what, it doesn't matter if we're overloaded. We'll get it out there. We'll do VOD. Like, someone will watch our movie. But no. Sometimes you go January. Well, that's a dead zone. But then they, I guess maybe they hope all people will be home. They'll yeah. watch it on VOD. Mm-hmm. And and if there's nothing that's, else to watch, yeah, then go. Yeah, no, no, you're right. Because we um, this past Halloween, I I showed my fiance um Halloween H two O for the first time, which I think that was the first one of the franchise that was released in the summer. And yes, and and then it just yeah. and that became then it became some releasings where I, I think the the most recent one with David Gordon Green was the first Halloween movie to come out in October. Um, yeah, and and like the last franchise to really be to really expect a new entry from around October was the Saw franchise, which in the near the end was like, does anyone want these anymore? No, but 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 at the same time, I was one of those horror fans. I was excited, like you know, even no matter how bad it was, it was like okay. At least it's something to cool to look forward to as a horror fan. Like even no matter like the diminishing returns, but yeah. And then I when they when they waited so many years and they came out with Jigsaw, mm-hmm. and then I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, I didn't need that film. Like <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm very apologetic about the Saw franchise. It's not great, but 
there's some fun twists in those. And then they try to always replicate like, oh, let's um the twist ending that we did here where like we want to explain how this is this and this is that. It doesn't all make sense, but I appreciate them trying to go back and go, well, remember when this happened in number three? This was happening now. It's like, okay, no, 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 you, you're lost, you know, but, and then Carrie Elwes comes back. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah, I remember here. Yeah, I remember the last one. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, he was supposed to come back, like, early on, and then, little short story about him, Carrie Elwes says he hate, he looks back and hates the agent he had at the time, because the agent told him, oh, demand a lot of money if they want you back. So, he, so he, of course, he went f- an extravagant amount of money. Mm. And he said, no, we're sorry. Like, you know, it was very, you know, and then he's okay. Aww. And then he saw those films get bigger and bigger. Mm. And he got pissed. He's like, I could have been like basically the hard, you know, he was going to basically be the new Jigsaw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that's what he is at the end. But it was years later with a new agent, of course, that... <laughs> Oh, you want me back? Cool, I'll, I'll come back. I, I won't take much. It's okay. <laughs> and then it ends. So that's a shame. Yeah, and and uh, an interesting little franchise because it also, uh, you know, this is a separate discussion. But like, Saw two and three put Darren Bousman on the map, and then he left the franchise and um, never really got back on the map again. <laughs> yeah, which is weird because he's. I think he has talent. It's just, yeah, I don't know where he he's he's also a. a Further um, reaffirming that that trope of of horror directors being super nice. One of the nicest guys. Um, I I interviewed him for when Repo the Genetic Opera came out. Yes, and um, he pushed that hard. Yeah. Like I remember he and he and he still does screenings of that even to this day, like every year. But I don't know. Yeah, he's a very talented guy. But yeah, I know what you mean. He yeah. left the Star franchise and he kind of never replicated that yeah and and has still kept working but um man, oh, yeah, yeah. um 11 11 11 that's not i never good i heard is bad yeah it's, it's very bad um but it's, is it lovecraftian no it, it's uh i mean in the sense of know. my my consciousness uh, i guess has Big. is unable to wrap <laughs> itself around it then yes but um it, it's it's not it's not good but we have we have um diverged wildly off topic but um, getting us back on topic would really just kind of be wrapping things up. I, I, unless you, uh, I've I've said I think everything I can say about the color out of space. I, I, yeah. I really recommend this movie, and it's on Amazon Prime, so it's easy enough to get a hold of. Yeah, you, you could do a double feature of this and our last one, or just watch this one. <laughs> I, I'd and, say I'd say just do that one. Um, yeah, just watch this one, and if you're interested in the other one, or you watch the other one, you want a nice palate cleanser. <laughs> watch this one. Yes, um, please. So next. We're going to do uh, The Thing on the Doorstep, um, an adaptation um, from one of, I, I believe it was the fifth to last film film story that Lovecraft ever wrote. So it was getting near the end of his life. Of course, he didn't know it at the time, but um, came out in 2014. And full disclosure with people, we wanted to do a number of other adaptations. The problem is so many ones that are typically thought of as the best, Dan O'Bannon's The Resurrected, Andrew Lehman's The Call of Cthulhu from 2005. Um, even uh, The Haunted Palace, which uh, is a is a title taken from a Poe story, but is an adaptation of uh, The Case of Charles Dexter Ward, uh, directed by Roger Corman, starring Vincent Price. None of those are available to stream anywhere. 
Um, it's a problem in the sense of um, a lot of the stuff that is available to us easily without kind of having to track down a bootleg copy or buy a $50 DVD from Amazon. A lot of stuff which is available may not be the best quality. So I think we're unfortunately in for that with the thing on the doorstep um, from 2014, which currently has a 3.7 out of 10 stars on IMDb. But... Who knows? Maybe the you know maybe it's uh it's only from 179 reviews. Maybe there oh, okay. might be something in there that which is um worth uh mentioning. But but that'll be that. And of course, though this is being recorded a couple weeks before, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be shortly before Thanksgiving. So James, do you have any plans for the Thanksgiving holiday this year? Um, nothing crazy. Just um, my brother is hosting this year and bunch of family like basically my girlfriend's mom is going to be my parents for the first time so it's an exciting okay exciting time you know all right hopefully that works out very nice um my how about you yeah my my fiance and i and a couple of other people are going to be uh we're going to be going out um we're nice. going to be going to uh the red rooster up in harlem um oh nice red rooster is awesome yeah so yeah. i've heard we've heard great things about it so we're we're very excited uh about that but um Everyone who is listening, we certainly hope that if you are observing it or celebrating Thanksgiving, that you have a very happy and healthy and wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, And hopefully none of you have to work on Thanksgiving Day because, as uh, James and I talked about a little bit about this off mic, um, people who make you work on Thanksgiving are the worst. Yeah, they are. (laughs) And for all my retail brethren out there that have to either work part of Thanksgiving or like because of freaking black friday seeping into thursday now yeah that's disgusting i'm Mm -hmm. sorry to say that like i even when i was at best buy many 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 moons ago thanksgiving was the one day like you don't work and i have friends that still work at best buy that now they have to come i don't know about this year Mm -hmm. but i know as of last year they would have to come in at 6 p.m the day you know on thanksgiving i'm like what (laughs) that's disgusting like do you really need that $250 $250 laptop. No, you don't. No. Like, but then again, we also joke like off off mic that I only do my shopping like 95% of it online. Yep. So mm-hmm. I don't deal with crowds. I don't deal with people trying to shoot me for <laughs> buying that new video game system. Mm. It's disgusting what capitalism has done to people. Yep. But it I wonder if, like, if Lovecraft lived longer, like, he would write a story about capitalism completely. Like, you know, like, that's the real evil of the world. <laughs> that's the darkness. It it certainly is. Um, oh, and, and one thing I forgot. So we, we did, uh, James did tweet out some suggestions or, or, or calls for suggestions from listeners as to what film we should review next. We did get a few people that supported the idea of The Call Girl of Cthulhu, which we are in, in favor of. But yes. hearkening back to what I said it's just not available anywhere. Um, and this this is the the challenge that we're going to have to continue to confront moving forward. But and also we just didn't want to, you know, tap the Stuart Gordon well dry too soon. We'll we'll get around to, you know, his Dagon and his um, from beyond that kind of stuff. But we don't you know, we want to we want to pace ourselves, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to, you know, just do all the big ones because then. You need you need to have a reason to come back to us every so often, you know. Like <laughs> right. we want to give you some of the smaller ones, and then we'll hit you with like a a big one, like Dagon or something like that, or From Beyond. From Beyond, I enjoy a lot, but 
Yeah, but but even then, like the same thing with the Carpenter trilogy that are loosely based on Lovecraft's ideas, can't throw out those right away. Those are those are huge. You know, the thing alone is come on, you <laughs> yeah. can't just throw that one out there. Yeah, and and maybe that hopefully that doesn't backfire on us in the sense of um, a few months from now we are just. Our, our souls are so dead from all the crap that we've had to watch. We need a we need a Stuart Gordon one, even though. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like James would be fine. I, I'd be the one yeah. who would be uh, collapsing inside. But um, it's okay. <laughs> well, as always, easy enough to get a hold of us. Movies of Madness at gmail dot com. If you want to send us an email, cast Cthulhu on Twitter. I am Nolan fixes teeth. James is fistful of media. Here's one thing I I I, I should say. Um, we do have a Facebook page. Uh, if you listen to this and are not a fan of it, please like us on Facebook. Please. Um, not that we are desperate, but I think we have like, you know, 12. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> it's fine. But um, we'll get there. It's slow. It's slow to say. Like, I started a page years ago just randomly and slowly but surely just kept growing and growing. But I, I don't ever post on that other page. Yeah. And yet I have like a thousand people on there. And it's just slowly. I think it's whatever algorithm like, oh, someone likes it. Oh, it gets put up on somewhere. Oh, if you like this, you like this. Oh, okay, I'll click that. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. So, yeah, we'll keep spreading the word. I mean, if you like us, to spread, to spread, to say, oh, you should really check this out. Mm-hmm. Put it out there on Twitter, Facebook, whatever other thing you use. You know, I don't know what other ones there are. Google Plus, nobody uses, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, me says the guy who. Um... I, I I took I basically took a hiatus from I do movies badly in November because I was just too busy so there, that page has been inactive for a long time but you know like us on Facebook spread the word keep downloading keep giving us reviews uh, just keep going because we'll we'll have a we'll have uh, plenty of stuff coming up in the in the future I'm sure but um yeah so thanks for listening um, next time we'll be talking about uh, the thing on the doorstep but in the meantime we'll be waiting and dreaming and eating turkey with dead Cthulhu at his home in Relia. Really, uh, 